Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, all guests on the Goodyear Hotline. So, uh... That's how the Braves rolling back to Atlanta tonight? (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) You already know where it is. A champion has been crowned. No doubt. You guys, you feeling good about that, right? I mean, it's a good day for Georgia yesterday. Talk about Georgia got number one in the polls. And you talk about the Braves win the World Series last night. Get a chance to see the Hawks tonight in Brooklyn. It's all coming together. Been a long championship drought in that town. Uh, All the franchises. The Falcons came so close. No cigars. Hawks haven't won in my lifetime. They won was the Braves. Yeah. Yeah. 95. Yeah, that was the last time. Mm. That was a while ago. It's a minute. Wow. And yeah. it was, what was it, 28 to 3 halftime lead? I mean, uh, second half lead? One of the biggest collapses in the history of sports. But they feel good now. Different, different fan base, but they feel good. Baseball yeah. fan base in Atlanta is way different than the football and basketball fan base. Everybody's like, why are you starting us off the day with reminding us about the Falcons' loss and the collapse? Like, well, I mean, just because that. What's happening? What happened last night? Well, well you, you brought it up. Like, Georgia won in the That's polls and, yeah. in the poll, and, and now the Braves win the World Series, and. It's a little different for the Astros when you don't know what's coming. I mean, like, the whole thing about the Astros was, well, they were, they were a great team anyway. Don't get it twisted. But when you know what's coming and you're, and you're a great team, good luck stopping them on a level playing field. Braves are the best team in baseball. Yeah, but that was so long ago. And this is a Dusty Baker, Houston Astro-led team, Max. So it's not the same as it was when they were doing that a you know, <laughs> yeah. little bit of a little bit of different situation it is. it is it was time for the Braves and the Braves took care of my Dodgers I knew that they probably was going to wind up winning the World Series it's time for straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless no contract no compromise a swing and a bouncer to short Swanson has it the throw across to Freeman and that'll do it the Atlanta Braves Defeat the Houston Astros 7-0, and they win the World Series in six games. Oh, look who we have ready for you. The Braves World Series Championship. The one and only Buster Olney, ESPN Baseball Insider, host of the Baseball Tonight podcast. What's up, Buster? Thanks for jumping on with us. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, headed to the airport now after, uh, boy, that uh, you know, crazy night for the Atlanta Braves. Your Braves fans up as I was going off to the airport this morning. They were still up and celebrating. Yeah, crazy night indeed for a town we were just saying who could use a championship. Um, what do you like? What's the big takeaway from this Braves team for you after seeing what you saw last night? They were buyers instead of sellers. People have been going through that a lot, and it paid off. What, what's your big thought about what you just witnessed, Buster? Well, first off, uh, yes, the fact that they were buyers and not sellers. And in an era in which we see teams tanking, Alex Anthopoulos with his team below 500, he's the general manager of the Braves, uh, after Ronald Acuna Jr. was hurt, decided, you know what, I I feel like I owe it to my players to do everything I can to win. And so he went out and made a series of trades. Think about that, a team spending money in the middle of the year, making a series of trades, trying to win when they're under 500 rather than give up on the season. Uh, And it all came together for them, which is why when they beat the Dodgers in the playoffs, uh, Alex Anthopoulos 
as the champagne celebration was going on, he got absolutely crushed by the players, happily. Uh, completely drenched because they knew how important the acquisitions of Jorge Soler and Eddie Rosario and Jock Peterson uh, you know, and Adam Duvall were for them. And so you see a team rewarded for the fact that he tried to win, which was pretty cool. And, you know, on a personal level, um, really happy for Freddie Freeman. You know, after all these years in the big leagues uh, to get a championship and in a year in which, you know, he had two babies, you know, one on December 30th after difficult pregnancy for his wife, one through his surrogate. Uh, he told me that, you know, his time away from his boys in spring training was so difficult that he actually thought about retiring in spring training. Um, but he decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to better once he got with his boys at the end of spring training. And to see him, you know, uh, catch that last out, stuff the ball into his back pocket, pretty cool stuff. Buster, with all that being said, we're going to head into to winter meetings here in the next month and a half or so. What does all this mean for Freddie Freeman going forward? I think they'll work it out where he's going to come back. Look, they broke off uh, contract talks in the spring, and that was at a time when, you know, they're coming off the COVID season. Nobody knew how many fans were going to show up at ballparks, uncertainty about revenues. Um, and on Freddie Freeman's side, I, I don't know if his representatives necessarily dying to make a deal either because we need to know the full context with the CBA coming up for the expiration is on December 1st. If they get a relatively quick deal, it could be great for free agents. Um, the fact is, is that Braves fans showed up, they packed the ballpark. And as, as I was talking to Freddie after the game, uh, doing the post-game interview, Terry McGurk, who's the CEO of the Braves, walked up to him. They, you know, they shared a huge hug. Uh, Terry McGurk is the guy who's going to lead those negotiations. I, I think that they will wind up getting something done because he's the face of the franchise, and that's not going to be what you're going to present to your fans. Yeah, we're, we're going to let that guy go now that we won a championship. I think they'll work out something after they get the CBA signed. Mm. How about Correa as a free agent, Buster? He's going to kill it. Uh, I mean, Carlos really set himself up well. You know, the big question about him coming into the year was, can he stay on the field? And he did. And he had arguably the best season of his career. And the expectation is that there's going to be a flush market for those free agent shortstops um, and maybe a surprise market because teams like Seattle and Detroit and Texas will be really aggressive along with the Yankees or maybe Philadelphia. Uh, you know, Carlos turned down $120 million from the Astros in spring training. I think he might get over $200 million, mm. you know, maybe even wow. 240, twice as much as what the Astros offered. Uh, he's the youngest of the group of elite free agent shortstops. Uh, as I said, he's coming off a great year. There are questions about, you know, his health, his back. Uh, he's had some back problems early in his career. Teams will be uh, looking forward to seeing that medical information. Buster only uh, ESPN's baseball insider joining us this morning, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Buster, Houston had the best offense in baseball this year, but the hitters certainly didn't show up against the Atlanta Braves. What happened? The Braves pitching and obviously their plans were excellent. Think about this number. Jorge Soler out-homered the Astros in the World Series 3-2. to two. The only home runs for the entire Houston lineup during the, during the World Series Two by Jose Altuve. Nobody else hit a home run. Uh, Jordan Alvarez was the MVP of the American League Championship Series against the Red Sox, doing damage all over the place. The Braves completely shut him down. 
pounding him inside with fastballs, throwing a lot of breaking stuff away. As Dusty Baker told us yesterday, it's like they put Alvarez to sleep with this sort of passive-aggressive approach to pitching. They had a plan for all these guys. Um, you know, Alex Bregman also struggled. He just simply does not look like the same player um, that he d- did earlier. He had it was early in his career because just different level of confidence. But up and down the lineup, a lot of guys with the Astros not doing the sort of damage we saw during the regular season. Mm, the great Buster only, ladies and gentlemen. The Braves are your World Series champions, and they did it under 500 when they made all the deadline moves, and then pitching brought them to the World Series title, like like it used to have them contending in the old days. Thank you, Buster. Appreciate it. Get some rest, Buster. Yep, thanks, guys. Take care. I'll see ya. By the way, good good market for free agent shortstops. Star free agent shortstops, every market ever is a good market for a star free agent shortstop. Mm-hmm. Carlos Correa is about to get paid. From Freddie Freeman to the biggest, to the NBA biggest superstar tweeting free OBJ. That's next. Keyshawn J. Willemax on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Odell Beckham Jr. also isn't the fault of all the problems with the Cleveland Browns offense, but Odell Beckham Sr., his father, takes to Instagram and posts an 11-minute video showing all the instances where Odell Beckham Jr. was open this season and Baker Mayfield did not get him the football. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio, ESPN News, Sirius XM Channel 80, your smart speakers, podcasts, anywhere there's communication in the known universe. Be a part of KJM Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed or call in line 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football's back. So are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. So the Browns did not trade Odell Beckham Jr. at the trade deadline. and um, It got interesting. Gonna, yeah, just... just it just got interesting. Fit hit the shan, and it just got interesting. You're going to have to try to make it work. Here's Kevin Stefanski on that. Yeah, I think I, I would tell you, first and foremost, I need to do a better job. Really? Uh, I really do. I need to make sure that I put him in position to make some plays, and, and I didn't do a good enough job, certainly yesterday. Uh, having said that, you know, he gets a lot of attention from the defense. His uh, effect on our offense uh, is there, uh, but I do need to do a better job of making sure that the ball uh, makes its way into his hands. You do. Absolutely, 100%. Kevin Stefanski is 100% correct. It's up to him as the offensive coordinator, play caller, head coach, to be able to just sit there and say, my guy's better than that guy. Put him in a position 
to free him up, free access, you move him around, put him in the slot, motion him across the formation, do things to get the football into a dynamic playmaker's hands. I know firsthand from firsthand experience. Being with coaches that realize I've got to get away from what got me here in my scheme because I got an alpha dog. That's the reason he was the number one overall pick. The reason is because he could do those sort of special things to help me win football games. And that's what Kevin Stefanski has to realize. I understand you got a system, and I understand we do things a certain way. There's a pecking order. All that's cool. But when you have a number 13 out there who can help you when healthy, you have to figure out how to maximize that. And and sometimes coaches get caught up in their own philosophies and game plans. And I've been through it many many a day. I remember (laughs) – and I have to laugh at this because I remember playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a personal experience. And I had just got traded to Tampa from the dumb New York Jets. And Les Hmm. Steckel was our offensive coordinator. And they couldn't figure out how to get me to football within his so-called system. So I walked in, Jay. I said, Les Steckel, come on, man. What like they just gave me a, a, a blank check to be the guy. And he said, Well, you know, you might have to jump on the grenade for the team every now and oh, then hell no. because I don't design individual plays for individuals. Oh, you should have seen the look. You know me. I gave him the co- <laughs> I gave him the coldest look ever. I said, Oh, okay, don't worry about it. And I took my ass right to Tony Dungy's office and had a conversation with T D. And Les Stecker was gone at the end of the year because they didn't bring me there to stand around like a cardboard cutout. And that's the same thing when OBJ is healthy. He has to be utilized a certain way to maximize his value. I'm with you. So you you say, hey, I have this unique talent. I'm going to center my offense to a degree around him. And then you first, system second. But when I hear Kevin Stefanski say that, though, Key, it makes me think OBJ's been there for a while now. You don't think he's tried to prioritize OBJ and that offense? So when I hear him say that to a degree, it makes me start to wonder about this isn't really a reference, a referendum on OBJ. It is on Baker because maybe there's something that Kevin Stefanski sees in Baker that when they do try to prioritize OBJ in the offensive system. Or even the pass game. He stresses it, and then he can't get to his other progressions because he stresses it. And so – but Jay, what about the fact that it's really a run? It's a the, te- the the offense is based around running the ball. Doesn't matter though, because I could tag OBJ at any moment that I want to. OBJ could be on my ref, on my right, on my left. I was about to put those together. Reft, um, put him in the slot. I could put him in the backfield. I could move him around. Oh, by the way, prioritizing of someone to get the football. I don't know if you remember the Dallas Cowboy game a year ago. They prioritized OBJ to get the football. Which means yeah. they threw a, ha- a a wide receiver in Landry threw a pass to OBJ because they prioritized him getting the ball. Yeah, but wait, I don't they mean- made sure to get him but- the football in that particular game. I- so that's prioritizing. No doubt. What I mean is it's run f- the fact that they based the offense around running the ball, even though they have a receiving core with two guys at the top who are good, tells me, to Jay's point, about Baker Mayfield. No, They you don't think still, that Baker can, can carry the team. You can still do that. You can still be a run-first offense. I was with the New York Jets and Curtis Martin. We were a Hall of Famer, Curtis Martin. Hall of Fame center in Kevin Mawad. Offensive line with Jumbo Elliott. They prioritized getting me the football. We were a run-first team. But when we wanted to throw, Keyshawn's one, Keyshawn's two. 
Then we'll look at three and four. But right now, number 19, you throw him the ball no matter what the situation is because that's what we're telling no, no, you. Oh, to I, just wanna, I want to be very clear about something. That's right. I understand that. My point is what, Jay, Jay you were talking about, maybe it's about Baker mm-hmm. as opposed to Stefanski. My point is, no, yes, they should, tag it, hold on, hold on, hold on. They, but, should, they, should, they should prioritize Odell, yes, but the fact that the offense is run centric may be a commentary on Baker Mayfield. No, you tag it's 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 like this, Max. Max is to my right. Mm-hmm. We're gonna run the football. When we throw, I'm not giving you anything but to the right. I'm not allowing you to scan the field mm-hmm. because he's to my right. Everything that I'm calling is for for I going to call it Baker. Odell. For OBJ. No matter what the situation is, if we decide to play action pass because we've been run heavy. We're going to throw the ball to 13. There's the screen that's called. Put it, in other words, I'm putting you as the quarterback in the only position to throw to one guy, and that's 13 because I'm putting the formation to 13. I'm calling the play for 13. So how would you respond that at times when Baker gets stuck on OBJ, he can't actually move through if OBJ gets doubled or – like I. Don't you feel like, I that's, understand too, what like you, that, that's a little bit of the problem, right? He gets too, he gets so – we talked about this last year. No. He gets so fixated on that. It feels like there's extra stress for him to people, make it work. People try to turn that into something to say that he locked on to him all the time and he was missing him. But that's not true. Even if you miss him doesn't mean go away from him, okay? You don't mm-hmm. – you, you, how do you think my nephew at the New Orleans Saints caught – whatever it was, 160 balls or whatever the damn never was. It was prioritized. It was prioritized. When Drew Brees needed to get off of him, he got off of him. Yeah, it's just interesting, though, because when you say Drew Brees. No, but don't I, don't look I, no, at I, it. I, I hear what you're saying, I can though. go to a lesser quarterback. I can go to Josh Allen. When they want to get the ball to Stephon Diggs, yeah, but, they but, calling but it. But you're also talking about a guy that finished second in the MVP it doesn't, votes But last it doesn't year. matter. I know, but that, it, I hear what you're saying, but it, it, it feels like it does when it comes to Baker. It and sounds I I like I agree, Jay. It sound matter. it feels like I, the I situation. I hear what you're saying, Key, no, but like I'm, um, you're also talking about a wait. You, we just had a conversation a couple of days ago. They're like, okay, Case so Keenum, here's Baker one, Mayfield, here, same thing. Here, right? but like, Baker, I don't put Case but, Keenum in that same conversation with Drew Brees. But or you Josh have Allen. to prioritize when a guy's only getting one target. Okay, one in, one for yeah. six yards. That's crazy. That's crazy. One for six yards and another late in the game. So he had two opportunities in an entire four quarters of football, and I'm paying him $18 million to play. And the second that one is unacceptable. True. Yeah. That is more on, to me, that was more on OBJ than it was on Baker, but Baker was late. But OBJ make a little more effort with two hands to go up and get it, opposed to one. But I also can look at it and say, well, maybe he's thinking the ball's like, I'm not getting ready to get my mm-hmm. bell rung, messing around with this dude who can't put the ball where I need to get it, you know. So as an offensive coach, you make it easier on the quarterback. Hey, what do we need to do? Shallow cross. Hey, run some screens. Bubble screen him. Hitch him. Run it quick outs on him. Things that make it easier for the quarterback, you know, to to be able to throw the ball. Everything doesn't have to be vertical. Stefanski, Baker, or Odell, who's most to blame for the lack of production from Odell Beckham, real quick, because we got to go to break. I would say it's the quarterback and the, and the play caller. Quarterback one, play caller two. Why Scotty Pippen is still trying to get the last word on the last dance. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. The Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max Podcast. Yes. LL. That's right. Just let it ride. Do that yet. Mm. Um, <laughs> what? When this, when this dropped? Did you remember? Did this drop on the West Coast like in real time, Key? Uh Max, I wouldn't know, man. You're talking about yeah. like 1985 or something, oh. man. Yeah, I know, but you remember when certain I songs mean, yeah, dropped. I was like, what? So long ago. I was still trying to figure out how to steal some Pumas or something. <laughs> I was four. You were at practice. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you talk to a top flight, like a world-class athlete, you're like, hey, you remember when this came out or when that? They're like, man, I was at practice. <laughs> I don't know. World-class athletes work. And people hate to hear this because you guys wind up making so much money, but world-class athletes work so much harder than everyone else really? from an uh, early age in order to get there. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I really didn't start playing organized sports, though, until I got to high school, really. I mean, I played Little League, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. High yeah, school I, was when you really – Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I didn't really start, like, training, training until probably, like, junior year of high school. Yeah, junior year of like, high school. Re- like, really training where you're right. like, oh, You got okay. no time for anything. But yeah, at yeah. some point, that has to kick in or you never make it. It doesn't matter how talented you are. That has to kick in at some point. Yeah, I would say junior year high school. All right. We are uh, playing that song because it was a big deal when The Last Dance was released in April of 2020. We're still talking about The Last Dance 18 months later, and that's because Scottie Pippen said this in his new book regarding Michael Jordan and The Last Dance. This is a quote. Except Michael was determined to prove to the current generation of fans that he was larger than life during his day and still larger than LeBron James, the player many consider his equal, if not superior. So Michael presented his story, not the story of the last dance. As our coach Phil Jackson billed the 97-98 season, once it became obvious, the two Jerrys, that's owner Jerry Reisendorf and general manager Jerry Krause, were intent on breaking up the gang no matter what happened. David Kaplan joins us on the Goodyear Hotline, brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear more driven. Cap, what do you think of those comments? It's getting juicy, Cap. Really juicy. Number one, I was just talking to Evan off the air. I mean, how much rent does Michael pay Scotty in his head? I mean, 
come on, man, you're one of the top 50 players and you continue to embarrass yourself. Uh, it's crazy because I've been around Michael a significant amount away from the basketball court. This dude is the most confident human being in the history of the world. I mean, it's not close. I don't believe Michael had any interest in releasing those videos because he had to make sure that the new generation of young fans knew he was better than LeBron. Michael knows he's better than LeBron. LeBron's a great player. He may be the second best of all time. Michael is the GOAT, and it isn't close. Well, okay, Cap. So, look, some things you say in order to sell a book, obviously I think that is one of those things because that's a huge debate that everybody gets into, but I'm not going to let that be the real narrative here. Let me ask you a real question. Being a guy with that you, played in Chicago, <laughs> being a guy that played in Chicago, I spent time around MJ and Pip as well. Do you think there's anything at all to what Pip said about how the ego of Jordan can sometimes outshine what other players on this team have done to help him win championships? Do you, do you feel Pip at all in that capacity? Um, I don't because – here was Michael's perspective, and I've asked him this question, and he gives you this, the same answer every time. Michael truly believed if you couldn't play at his level, not in terms of talent, in terms of want to, will to win, competitiveness, and then you had to be really, really good, that he just didn't have a use for you. And he believed he knew what the level of commitment and intensity was to win in a city well, we don't win a whole lot till they came along. And if you don't want to play that way, that's fine. Then get out. Don't have anything to do with us. But if you're going to be with me, you're going to play one way. And we all know who the king of the castle was. Yeah, and, and you know, Cap, for me, I, I have a relationship with both of these guys. They, they brought me up in the sports world when I was a young, wild kid running around New York City. And, and so – in the end, I just feel like Scotty is reaching a lot in these situations for a lot of different reasons. Um, Michael's Michael. I mean, if it was built around him and that was the last dance and that's what it was going to be, then that's what it was going to be. But what type of rift has the last dance caused amongst not only Scotty Pippen but just other teammates in general that feel a certain way about the way they might have been portrayed in the last dance? Uh, I, I think a lot of guys were like, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's the way it was when they were playing and that they told the true story. But, you know, I remember, I don't know, when did the first excerpt of the book come out? Five months ago, four months ago, where Scotty made some comments about Tony Kukoc of why Tony got to take the last shot in a particular game, and he claimed it was that Phil Jackson – it was racially motivated, and I called. Tony's a good friend of mine. I play golf with him. I called Tony. I said, have you heard what Scotty said today? No, tell me. He goes, Scotty and I are really tight. We're boys. I said, uh, you're not going to like this. I read him the quote. He's like, what? No way he said that. Yes, it's in his book. And Tony, I, asked, I offered him to come on the air. No, I'm not getting involved in this. I can't believe he's continuing to do this. Yeah, Tony was more than a little hurt by Scotty as opposed to the way he was perceived and at times at the beginning of the relationship treated by Michael. Cap, you know what's crazy about this whole thing for all the things that Pip 
has just started to say, and will say more, I'm sure, in his book, Unguarded, that will be coming out soon. I guarantee Michael Jordan doesn't even care. That's what, makes, that's what makes MJ MJ. It, whatever. I, I truly feel that way, don't you? A hundred percent that Michael, if he's listening right now, he's drinking his coffee, laughing, going, I still, I'm still the topic of conversation, and I can't stop it. It's phenomenal. I guarantee you he doesn't care. He's laughing at it. How much of this do you think, Cap, is Jordan is so, like, I, the way I just described Jordan, defectively competitive. And I'm with you, the GOAT, for various reasons. We don't need to get into that now, and I, I think it's pretty clear. But he, like, I think of his Hall of Fame speech, where everyone's there to honor the man. He gets up and uses it as an opportunity to kind of obliterate all the people who are there showing him love. Because to me, it's like he's so competitive. He has to constantly, like, win at everything. And because so, it takes two, this doesn't come out of nowhere, right? Whatever Scotty's issue is, it's coming from somewhere where, where he feels like he needs to kind of stand up for himself in some way. Like how much of it is the way Jordan has treated people through the years? I don't know if it's as much that Max as Scotty's been that guy who was always doubted or handled things poorly and got criticized despite being an incredibly talented basketball player. He was a guy who went off to Central Arkansas and wasn't even going to be on the team, might have been the student manager, then he starts to grow, then he becomes a basketball player, but then everyone goes, ah, he's not good enough to play in the NBA. And then I was scouting in the league. Jerry Krause had called me, I was between jobs, and asked me if I would go to the pre-draft camp in 1987. It's at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I want you to come in there, he tells me. I want you to go see this game on this court at this time and watch number 58 and do not tell anyone who you're looking at. Okay. There's like, a, you know, 90 dudes there. I walk in. I watch this guy. I'm like, well, that guy's really, you know, really good. He gets up in the passing lane. You don't see that in a pre-draft camp. Usually every guy's trying to just score. If we get done, he meets with me. What would you think of him? That guy's really good. He's really talented. Where do you think he's going to go? We're hoping to steal him in the seventh round. Because, Jay, remember that now it's a two-round draft. It was mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine, ten rounds back then. Mm-hmm. And so the next day, I watch him again. I write my little report up, and Jerry said, what do you think now? I said, Jerry, there's no way that guy's there in the seventh round. That guy's really good. Now, did I think he's who he is? No. The third day of the camp, Number 58's got like 40 guys around the court watching him. And Jerry's like, oh, God, I don't think he's going to be there when we pick. And then they made the trade to go get Scotty, and Scotty became Scotty. Then Jerry Reinsdorf, Scotty says, I want a long-term deal. I've had back problems. He gives it to him and tells him, I can't renegotiate this. So if you sign it, you got to live up to it. Yeah, Jerry, my back, I got to make sure I'm protected. And, of course, a year in, he's underpaid grossly, and they won't renegotiate the deal. He'd been warned. It was on him. Then he sits out 1.8 seconds because Tony's going to get the shot and not him. Then he couldn't play with migraines in the Easter Conference final game seven. Like, all this stuff happened, and he's still one of the 50 greatest players. So I still think it's all in his head. I do. How has the relationship deteriorated over time? I mean, you know, two guys that win championships together, you still would think that they would celebrate to some degree, but clearly that's not the case. 
We had Dennis Rodman on, and he said when he came to Chicago, he said, I walked in the Birdo Center the first day. I've just been traded to the Bulls. Michael Jordan walks up to him, pulls him in the training room. He said, he closed the door. He looked at me. He goes, you're a great player. You screw this team chemistry up, I'll kill you. Are we clear? He said, and that was basically the last time he ever talked to Michael Jordan while he was with the Bulls, except on the court. He said, we'd go to dinner, and Dennis and his entourage at one table, Scotty at another table, Michael and his group at another table. He's like, wasn't like we hung out. And Scotty, the same thing. And Scotty had some off-the-court stuff go on here that we don't have to get into. So none of that ever happened to Michael Jordan. So Scotty's had his share of missteps to contribute to him feeling disrespected at times. It's funny, Cap. Like, you know, everybody's like, oh, their relationship. I'm like, what relationship? You mean on the court? Because off the court, Jordan's one of one. You know, he had his crew. Everybody had their crew back then. It wasn't a lot of team events and things of that sort. Well, Michael had his crew, but if it was anybody on the team, it was not really any of the guys that were starters. Yeah. It was Scotty Burrell or mm-hmm. some of these other guys that just wanted to be in his company. But the, the other stars, Scotty, Dennis Rodman. Look, here's how tough Michael was. Will Purdue, not a great player, but a really solid contributor, and Michael refused to call him Will Purdue. He kept calling him Will Vanderbilt on the court. And <laughs> Will said to him, my name's Will Purdue. He goes, you ain't good enough to play at Purdue. That's how Michael challenged these guys and treated these guys. How, yes, that's Cap, all true. I love him, Tell Cap, how much do you think that Pippen, like I always thought LeBron is like a puffed-up Pippen. He's, he has, he, he has, he, LeBron plays like... LeBron is a point forward. Pippen was an early prototype of a of a scoring, defending point forward who could run your offense. He was an excellent passer, not a great shooter. Like in many respects, LeBron reminds me of a a, a blown up version of Scottie Pippen. And Pippen maybe identifies when he sees LeBron, that's some version of me, and prefers that to Jordan or kind of uses that as a proxy to like hit Jordan over the head with. Yeah, I mean, like, is there anything there? Um, they're similar styles. I mean, yeah, that's like a Cadillac and a Chevrolet. I mean, yeah. Le- LeBron's no, just matter. ridiculously good. But Michael could – Michael didn't have all the training and all the – he lifted weights, he worked out. But not like it is today with what LeBron has put together. But I think Scotty just felt disrespected all the time. What what did you make of what Scotty said uh, about Michael releasing the last dance because of the shadow of LeBron James? I don't believe that. I really don't. I think Michael had this. People have wanted to see it. We're in a pandemic, and it was just it was time. I just they rushed it out to get it faster because we're all on lockdown. I think it all came together. But Michael been sitting on these things for a long time. You're telling me that if he truly wanted to get a claim and make sure that everyone knows who the GOAT is, why did he wait so long to release it then? Why? I, it, that makes no sense to me. Michael's not that guy. Michael doesn't care what anyone thinks because he knows he's the best. Not any question, he's the best. Before we let you get out of here, one last thing. How, does, how will these two legends be viewed now that this is like, I guess, a one-sided bickering match? 
makes Michael even larger than life, makes him even greater. And Scotty will always be remembered as a great player here. But he'll also always be remembered as the guy that sat out 1.8 seconds because he didn't like the play, had a migraine, whether I don't have those, thank God. I can't tell you how sick he was. But when the when Michael had the flu game, that was the worst thing that ever happened to Scotty because Scotty couldn't answer the bell against the Pistons. Mike dropped 37. Mm. Yep. I once had the flu. David Kaplan, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Keyshawn, J. Will, Max. No Matt Nagy questions. No, not today. No. Yeah, we just... well, you know. How's he doing, by not the way? No, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, exactly. While we have you. Was... <laughs> Hopefully he's recovering well. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. Best wishes to, to Matt Nagy, yes. who had COVID, and uh, hopefully he's, he's feeling better and everything's okay. Yes. You Never mind. Stop. Well, I mean, like, because we've already been ad nauseum over, yes. like, Matt Nagy's not there. Look at Justin Fields. Is there a correlation? Well, the only thing I was going to say is look at Justin Fields' play on Sunday, and you'll know if Matt Nagy is healthy or not. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you think it's like that? Might be. Uh, Cap, you still there? Yep, I'm right here. Uh, do I, look, you can't tell me that offense so, didn't look different the other day. We didn't win. But you can't tell me that the play calling, he's on the roll, he's running boots, he's throwing down the field. You cannot tell me it wasn't run differently when Matt had no input. You can't tell me that. I yeah. agree. We're on the same page. It did look different. Hey, Cap, I'm not going to let us off basketball just for one second because we don't get a chance to do it a lot on the show. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to get your reaction, and I want all of us very quickly, we only got about five minutes left, to talk about what J.J. Reddick said the other day. Uh, I don't know, Max, if you have the quote up about what he said as it relates to NBA players. Uh, but pretty much, you know, he, he talked about the fact that NBA players back in the day are nowhere as good as where NBA players are today. And what are your thoughts about that? Could NBA players back in the day play in today's game right now? Yes, they absolutely could. There were some amazingly talented players. Just go back and look at the numbers. There were great players back when I was scouting in the 80s and 90s, when you were coming up, Jay, great players. I'll ask you, could some of the guys today go back and play in the physicality of the old game? There's no way some of these guys would be anywhere near as successful because they whine and cry about fouls today. Can you imagine going back and just getting your head ripped off going through the lane? Cutters would go through. I remember. Yeah, that's called today. a foul, Cap. That's called a foul. Like when somebody throws a bow to your face, that's called a foul. But but, it, but, but it's not necessarily a flagrant, day, and you could keep getting it again yeah, and but, again. But it's like th- these conversations always kind of go ahead, go ahead. Key, read read the actual quote. Screwing it up. Well, anyway, I, I I it's like you know players today are exponentially better than what players were back then. Like I agree with JJ. I've been saying this for for ten years. But the physicality of the game, yeah, I, I actually do believe if LeBron James grew up with the physicality being that yeah, way. He'd be fine. He would be fine. He'd be fine. But and ju- be fine. Just, like, just like if a dude from back then was training with today's methods, he'd be fine. Like, to compare errors and say, well, in this era, that in the, it's ridiculous. In the one sport that we measure objectively, track and field, we prove that athletes keep getting better. There's no disputing it. They run faster. They jump higher. Like, so, of course, athletes are getting better. What does that have to do with greatness? All you can do is see how, can, how athletes competed against their contemporaries and judge that. That's it. We, you play this game all you want. 
How did LeBron do in his era compared to Kareem, Jordan, Magic, whoever? Yeah, a, a, but, go ahead, Dave. Well, I was going to say, LeBron's six foot nine, 275 pounds. He works incredibly hard at his craft. He's an amazing player. But you tell me some of these guys go back in the 80s and they run through the lane trying to make a cut. Bam, they get one right in the chest. It, these guys would, maybe they would eventually adapt. But the players of today, it'd be a harder thing to adapt to the physicality of the game trying to get your shot off as opposed to putting Michael or Charles or some of these guys into today's game. As Max said, you give them all the training advantages of today, those guys would be fine. Well, here's what J.J. Reddick actually said. Our new colleague here at ESPN, host of the Old Man 3 podcast, said this. One of my favorite things that any player has ever said is when Austin Rivers said if he played against Bob Cousy, he would be a Hall of Famer because he is not wrong. Here's my here's the, the the one thing. Here's my issue with the old old timers when when they uh blank on us saying we couldn't play in their era. I would say this, I don't think this is a hot take. Most NBA players in today's era could play in any era in the NBA. But not vice versa, but but because he, he's saying most of those guys couldn't play today. He is, of course, right. If you just picked someone out of the 1960s and dropped him today, he'd be destroyed. But if you picked him out of the 1960s and he grew up today, like the great players I then, get it. with all the. Yeah, you get all the, the medicine, you get everything, the weightlifting, yeah. the training. His the skills sleep, would be better, he'd be stronger. And, and, and by the way, of course, the Bronco go through the lane in the old abilities. days. They get out of the way in the old days. 260 with that speed. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max presented by Progressive Insurance. Odell Beckham talk coming up. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio.